0: You're listening to a classic business podcast, as heard on Classic 1027. 1027. Cabinet has approved a goal to reduce greenhouse gas emissions to net zero by 2050, uh, but it still plans to burn coal um, to this date. The government uh, called the low emission development strategy, the leads as it's known, the beginning of our journey towards ultimately reaching a net zero economy by 2050. Along with China the strategy is a response to the Paris Agreement's call for countries to set out long-term climate strategies and it draws together existing policies, planning and research across economic sectors and among these is the Integrated Resource Plan, the IRP, which is how South Africa plans electricity supply. As we know the IRP has been in the news a lot lately. The 2019 version of the IRP outlines a transition from uh, coal to renewable sources like solar and wind but we still see around 5000 megawatts of coal power capacity is forecast uh, to be operating in 2050. Well to talk about uh, the LEDs as it's known I'm joined now by the Minister of Forestry and Fisheries and Environmental Affairs uh, Barbara Creasy and Andrew Gilder a long standing private sector climate change and carbon markets lawyer with nearly two decades of uh, practice experience and director of uh, Climate Legal which was also an external uh, climate change counsel to the deaf on the Climate Change Bill of 2018, uh, which means um, that uh, they've worked extensively on this issue for a very long time. Andrew, great to have you on the panel too. Minister, perhaps you can just kick us off here and give it, given that climate change is always in the headlines lately, uh, if, if it's not just uh, COVID-19 and it's so prevalent, just outline the importance of the publication of this low emission development strategy because it's something of a living document that has now finally been ratified and approved. By cabinet.
1: Well, I think that, let me start off by saying that we understand that climate change is the number one environmental issue of our times. And if we are to achieve our goal, as outlined in the National Development Plan of reaching net carbon zero by 2050, we have to start to look at the sectors of the economy that need to change and the production processes in those different sectors of the economy that need to change. So the LEADS strategy, as we call it, identifies different areas in our economy that are vulnerable to climate change and that require both technological and uh, human change in order to bring about a lower carbon emissions growth trajectory. So you've already spoken about uh, the area of energy generation but what we have to understand is that, that climate change impacts on virtually every sector of our economy. Agriculture needs to change because climate change means that uh, our country is getting drier and drier, it's also going to get warmer and warmer. And crops that would have been suitable during our current lifetimes will not be suitable 10 to 20 years from now. Our transport system needs to change. We understand that at the moment our transport system burns fossil fuel in order to stay on the road. Uh, We will need to be introducing electrical vehicles. We will be needing to look at different forms of public transport. We know that across the globe people are returning to rail, As a low emissions form of transport we understand that mining and industry will need to change so that it uses less energy and so that it uses less water but we also understand that all of our human settlements will need to become more climate resistant they will need to be able to deal with extreme weather events our coastal cities will need to be able to deal with sea level rise so I think that, w- that what we need to understand is that if we want to reach net carbon zero, we can't just wake up one morning and say we're now going to do good deeds. It requires careful planning. It requires technological change. It requires massive investment. We are a developing country. We're a country whose economy is already taking enormous strain. And I think part of what we're doing with the LEDs is we're putting these ideas out there We are looking for financial support, we are looking for investment and we're looking to develop new industries that can help us with our objectives of creating jobs and
0: fighting poverty. I think it's a, a great introduction to what is a very broad topic and within that um, opportunities, yes great challenges to change an economy and a trajectory that has been so carbon intensive uh, over the last century at least to something that is um, net zero uh, carbon by 2050 is a big hairy audacious goals I might say, a BHAG, uh, but Andrew uh, big hairy audacious goals have to have that um, that, that, that grip on, on the nation and the psyche to say well this is what we need to do and now it's about how we get there and this is really what the the lead seeks to do how does the leads relate to the underlying principles though of um, of, of mitigation uh, and, and, and carbon taxes and the like.
2: Good, thanks Michael So, and thanks to the Minister for that. Um, I often uh, ask my students to challenge me and tell me a a government department that will not have to deal with climate change in its future governance trajectory. So, Michael, think of the leads as kind of a bag of carrots. So if there is mitigation regulation coming out of the Climate Change Act to to be in the future, so the climate change bill at the moment. So things like carbon budgets um, under, under Treasury's auspices and SARS auspices, the carbon tax and the like. If those are sticks, then the leads is a bag of parrots trying to give um, impetus to um, the, the broader um, sweep, if you like, of mitigation action. Um, the minister's department, habitually for the last 20 years, has, has provided this kind of support to um, emitting entities, to those organisations that are, are going to be subject and are, are currently subject to mitigation regulation so the if if the law imposes an obligation to reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions by a certain amount over time the, the the department has always been at pains to say and here's a range of options that you can take on board in order to support that obligation.
0: And it is um, uh, all about using that carrot and stick approach and where the opportunities lie is um, hopefully, Minister, where the private sector is going to come in and, and support this transition. We hear the word just transition bandied about specifically when we talk about the energy transition, but I think so many other sectors are going to require that kind of just transition thinking as well. If you look at the foundation of the LEDs, uh, there are three national policy documents. You've got the NDP, uh, you've got your National Climate Change Response Policy and the Climate Change Bill that Andrew recently spoke about. Can you just um, uh, briefly explain the broad climate policy framework that rests upon these documents and how they've informed a breed of life into the LEDs?
1: South Africa, as we know, is a, is a signatory to the Paris Agreement. And the Paris Agreement says that its signatory countries need to do three things. They need to have a strategy to mitigate carbon gas emissions. And uh, that strategy is encapsulated in what we call the nationally determined contribution. So there's a recognition that countries will have to change at a pace that is appropriate and possible for them. So all countries uh, who are signatories have developed this nationally determined contribution. We have this, and this year is a year for review of that nationally determined contribution. And we are currently in a public participation process around what we call the NDC or the nationally determined contribution. The Secretary General of the United Nations has called on all countries to make their contributions more ambitious. And I think you would have seen at, at the recent Climate Week in New York some interesting developments with regard to that ambition. The second thing that all countries are required to do is to develop an adaptation strategy. And uh, we have also released the country's adaptation strategy. And that's all about saying, unfortunately, climate change is a reality. How are we going to cope with it? And how are we going to make our agricultural sector more uh, resilient, how are we gonna make our human settlements more resilient and so on and so Mm -hmm. forth. And then the third area is what they call the means of implementation. And I think that this is where you would see a significant debate always takes place in the COPs and uh, also in, in all international forums between the developed and the developing countries with the developing countries saying that we need help Uh, It's not a simple thing to transition an economy and what we have to make sure is that as we transition on this lower carbon growth trajectory, we leave no one behind. What we understand is that in transitions there will always be winners and losers. What we have to ensure is that those who potentially are threatened, people who work in the coal industry, women who are running subsistence agriculture, informal settlements. These are the people who will potentially be left behind as our society transitions. And we have to make sure that the transition is just, that those who are already experiencing conditions of poverty and hardship, their conditions should not be made worse as a result of the transition. And that takes me to another document that was approved in the same cabinet meeting, which is what we call the P4C, the Presidential Climate Change Coordinating Committee. And this is the place where government, the private sector, organized labor and civil society will negotiate the transition so that we try and make sure, in the president's words, no one is left behind.
0: Andrew, uh, you've been in the the business of climate law for some time and understand the carbon tax as well. How will the leads align with the carbon tax, which is about to enter the first period of submission of carbon tax returns from the 1st to the 19th of October? So it's very topical at the moment and the proposed carbon budgeting approach. So
2: if you think, so thanks for that, Michael. If you think of the the various components of uh, what DEF is calling the post 2020 mitigation system. There's six different components. Two of those components are the carbon budget and the carbon tax um, regimes. The The intention is for those regimes to speak to one another and effectively what, what a, a budget will do and a tax does is it imposes certain obligations on emitting industries to control um, and take account of and reduce their emissions. And from a tax perspective also for the very first time in this country to price industrial scale emissions so if you think of the six component mitigation system as a skeleton upon which needs to be laid um, the flesh or if you like the fabric of a very wide range of complex actions
0: all of which move towards
2: um, that ultimate goal of net zero by 2050 then the leads is a series of um, th- th- they are the leads if you like is the warp and woof of, of this fabric that is laid upon the the, the post 2020 mitigation system um in essence we are looking at a scenario where um in future emitting industries will be allocated a budget so think of a cap on their emissions um, they will be required to stay within that cap And at the moment, as far as I understand it, the intention of the regulator is to use the carbon tax as a means to um, encourage, let's say, um, compliance with carbon uh, budgets by imposing uh, punitive levels of tax above a budget.
0: Minister, is that uh, broadly in line with uh, the thinking?
1: Yes, I think we've just come out of a, a round of negotiations in NEDLAC. To align the climate bill with the uh, climate tax and and really the key thing is is as Andrew is saying, how do you align the budget with the tax and uh, at what point are you going to be taxing, and at what point are you going to be having uh, what he described as a as a punitive tax um, and i think I think the um, we are uh, in the process of putting out for public comment uh, the whole measurement system so that companies understand uh, exactly how we're going to calculate. We're already running the system on a voluntary basis. So, so companies are already voluntarily submitting their emissions. Um, we're not taxing those emissions yet, but, but we're using this as a, a learning process for all of us. Um, to be Mm -hmm. able to calculate emissions, to be able to calculate what would be an appropriate budget, and then to begin um, incrementally over time to be uh, applying what I think Andrew correctly called the stick. Um, So uh, what we're trying to do as government is to say here are options in terms of changing your production processes. We're actively involved in trying to find investors and financing for those processes work with us join us and there are many CEOs I I should say who have um, identified themselves as climate change CEOs and who are working on their own companies and motivating other companies to change their production processes. Um, So that is how the whole system is going to work. I think it's also important to say that there is a lot of international pressure and financial pressure that is starting to operate within our economy. Um, You would know that uh, many banks um, now have to make declarations about their investments, not just in uh, carbon producing industries, but um, in due course in all emitting industries. And this would really be in line with global trends. So I think that what you're trying, what you're starting to see in business is an awareness that um, being a high level emitter through one's production processes actually provides an economic risk, which you need to mitigate in terms of um, potential future risks in regard to global trade.
0: And uh, we're also seeing a dovetail with a very strong theme in ESG investing and funds flowing into uh, indices that uh, track companies inside uh, that broader bucket of environmental, social uh, governance uh, and and leaders in those industries as well. So there is incentive from capital, there's incentive from regulators, both carriage and stick here, uh, and a lot to exercise the mind uh, on on the issue of climate change. Just on that issue of um, determining our national greenhouse gas trajectory, what were the leads... Um, what role do you see the LEDs playing in determining that trajectory? Is it going to be um, a living document and feeding back into that trajectory over time? Just give us a sense of, and, of how the, the LEDs interact with that.
1: Yes, I, I think that's a, that's a very important point you're making, that this is not a static document. Um, we've put it out, uh, we've deposited it with the uh, UNFCCC, the United Nations body that deals with climate change. We are using it in bilaterals that we would be having with different international partners to say, look, this is this is where our thinking is going. How can we, we source uh, technological know-how for this? How can we source investment for this? How do we source HR, human capital developments for this? Mm. So I think that um, obviously technology is constantly changing. We know, for example, that uh, solar solar power was historically more expensive. It's becoming a cheaper and cheaper option as technology develops. Um, So what we're expecting is that over time, uh, that particular document will be continually updated and uh, will develop as a result of interactions with both the domestic and international community.
0: Andrew, if you look at this, uh, and we often talk about the peak plateau and decline in in climate change, speak for for those who might not be familiar with uh, that phraseology, just explain what that is and the relationship between leads and the peak plateau and decline uh, strategy and trajectory that we have uh, modelled.
2: Sure. So the the formal policy and uh, mitigation policy in the country is based on something called the long term mitigation scenarios that were originally um, initiated in 2006. They were approved by cabinet in 2008 and then an amended version of, of the LTMS was um, I mean, it was approved in, in 2010. Um, effectively, the, the the policy says, and it, it claims for South Africa as a developing country, further international carbon space. And it does that by saying, this country reserves the right, <laughs> legalistically speaking, to, to continue to grow its greenhouse gas emissions until 2025 from 2025 to 2035 to plateau those emissions and then achieve absolute reductions after 2035 and towards 2025. So the, the, the fabric of mitigation policy in the country is, is designed to serve that peak plateau and decline process. The climate change bill includes the peak plateau and decline and eventually the minister, when, when that, that bill comes into operation as an act, Uh, part of the minister's role is to define um, an emissions trajectory for the country the first emissions trajectory will be the peak plateau and decline but to answer your question about where the leads fits into that so remember if if the leads is 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 um, a, a kind of a series of mechanisms that will allow industry to achieve and work towards mitigation then clearly The numbers associated with the peak, plateau, and decline need to evolve over time. The the commitment we've made internationally is that we will get better at this over time. So our our NDC, our nationally determined contribution, says we will look to achieve certain objectives, but the the imperative upon us is to improve those objectives over time, and that's what the lead is going to do to assist. May I pick up one point that the minister made, which is, um to say that there is financial risk to industry if, if emitting industries are not taking these these issues into account i 'd less likely further and say there's a further question that can be asked which is are excos um are ceos uh, um, complying with their fiduciary responsibility towards their companies if they are ignoring those kind of risks mm. it's very mm. rare still that you will find a um, an industry exco saying oh yes we are taking the risks and the costs associated with climate change seriously in our five year budgeting process.
0: Very important point. Just uh, as we conclude, we've got about a minute and a half left. Minister, looking for the commercial opportunities uh, that investors can look out for in the lead. So what do you see as as some of the the major commercial opportunities? And you, you mentioned earlier, you're looking for private sector to come on board and be a partner in this process. Where are some of those opportunities?
1: Well, I think first of all, in, in, in energy generation uh, we know that that, that space is uh, significantly opening up um, and I think that uh, alternative uh, and renewable forms of, of energy generation are an important opportunity. We've recently heard the Minister of Energy talking about window five, so I, I think that's the first area. The second area I think has to be the African continent's electric vehicle. We understand that across the globe, uh, different, different forms of, of transport are being developed. We know that one of our, our car manufacturers is already starting with a hybrid vehicle, but uh, who's going to develop the African continent's first electric vehicle? The third area would be how are we going to, to modify um, public transport and freight transport. In Brazil, we already see buses and taxis are, are running on biofuels. Are we thinking of introducing that component here? I think that that would be a very important. We know there's a lot of long-haul uh, transport. Um, all forms of production processes that are going to minimize the use of energy and the use of water. Uh, In the agricultural space, new forms of crop crop production that are going to minimize the use of water. Uh, New forms of food processing that will minimize the use of water and fuel. We know that uh, in more developed countries, these processes are already there, but we have always had plenty of water and plenty of energy, so we haven't needed to economize. And then, of course, I think there's the whole built environment. Um, yeah. A South African house must be the, the hottest house in summer and the coldest <laughs> house in winter. We need, we need to be insulating our buildings so that we are saving uh, energy in our built environment space.
0: Well, Minister, thank you very much. Those are just
1: um, some quick things I would think of off the top of my head.
0: There's a surfeit of opportunity just in those off the top of your head. And I think uh, great to see leadership being uh, taken with this issue of uh, climate change and looking for uh, a way to map out uh, a just transition to that future of net carbon zero by 2050. Minister of Forestry and Fisheries and Environmental Affairs, Barbara Creasy and Andrew Gilder, Director of Climate Legal.